Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Green, joined here with my co-host, Alexander Noren. Hey, everybody. We are very, very excited about our guest today. We have Jacob Morgan on the show. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Jacob is a three times best-selling author. He is a futurist and leading keynote speaker on the future of work, leadership, and most importantly, employee experience. He works with global organizations around the world, ranging from Samsung, Prudential, Microsoft, Salesforce, Disney, MasterCard, and many others. He speaks in front of tens of thousands of people each year, and his content is seen over a million times a year. Jacob founded the Future of Work University, an online education and training platform. You can find it at futureofworkuniversity.com. Jacob, anything else we need to know about you? Um, no, I mean, I'm working on a new book on the future of leadership that'll be coming out towards the end of next year, um, but that's still quite a ways away. Uh, but it is based on over 100 CEO interviews uh, with some of the world's top executives. So I'm very excited for that, uh, but I haven't even started writing yet. So there's probably not, not even too much to say about it yet. <laughs> That's enough to get me excited. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hopefully, no it'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a good book, but uh, still a long way to go for that. Jacob, before we get into the weeds here, we, just, we need to get a working definition of employee engagement. Could you help us out with that? Well, um, I wish I knew what the technical definition of engagement uh, is. I know what it's become. Uh, most companies just view engagement as kind of this idea of investing in perks and benefits to temporarily boost the happiness of, of the people who work there. And uh, I don't think that's what it, it was supposed to be, but that's ultimately what it's become. And you can see evidence of that because for decades, we've never spent more time or money or resources investing in employee engagement, but the scores are largely going nowhere. And that's because uh, the way that most organizations view it is, well, let's give people free food, let's give them hot yoga, and then they'll be happy. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, what we're starting to learn is that that doesn't work at all. So um, unfortunately, I think a lot of organizations are looking for something more. And I think that's uh, where this idea of employee experience is starting to emerge from. Yeah, it's kind of tough, you know, because like some of these HR directors are tasked with implementing employee initiatives that are geared towards increasing engagement. But a lot of times it comes from a lack of budget, a lack of buy-in from the CEO. And, you know, you see those numbers jump for a small moment, but then they settle back down to exactly where they were before. So it sounds like there's a much deeper problem and a much better way of going about it that we are working to discover. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've said it exactly right. The numbers temporarily go up and, uh, and then they go right back down and it leaves a lot of executives wondering what's going on. Where's the ROI? Why am I not seeing the business value out of this? And it's because exactly what you said, it goes up, then it goes down, it goes up, it goes down and nobody can figure out what the heck is going on. In fact, I talked to a lot of uh, chief human resource officers and they always tell me that the quickest way to boost their employee engagement score is, is to measure it one day on a cloudy, rainy day, and then next time measure it on a sunny day. And then, <laughs> and then right away you get a 10 point boost in employee engagement. Uh, other organizations do all sorts of creative things like they happen to do an employee appreciation day on the same day when they launch their survey. They happen to just do a catered lunch for everybody. And um, 
basically what starts to happen is these companies boost their engagement scores just for the sake of boosting the scores. Like they, they don't understand why they're doing it. They just know that they want that higher number. And when you focus purely on the number, you really have no outcome or outputs or ROI that come as a result. So if you really just want a higher number, I mean, that's super easy to do, right? I mean, give people free food. Uh, on the day you do the survey, <laughs> measure it when it's beautiful outside, and there you go. You have a much higher engagement score, and right, everybody should be happy, and then and, you know move on with your lives. But again, as we're starting to realize, it's the number itself is is kind of uh, meaningless. There, I mean, you you need to go beyond just looking at that score, uh, and that's I think the evolution that we're starting to see, which is great in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting too is it's. I think demoralizing a lot of the time for organizations who, who think that they're, they're doing a good thing, checking a box, if you will, patting themselves on the back by saying, Hey, look at this. We've had some improvement. You know, our annual survey says that we've done marginally better than last year. That's fantastic. Let's move on to something else. Um, and, and that to me is what, what I see the real dangers being is people thinking that they're going the right direction, but they're not. Um, because like you said, there's no actual real return on investment. We, you know, we just see some, some bumped up scores. So, so, so where are we moving to, you know, uh, um, as we, as we look to the future, what, uh, what should, how should we be reframing our thoughts so that we can better handle the situation? Well, I think the big direction we're shifting towards is how do we make actual uh, core changes to our workplace practices mm -hmm. based, uh, you know, and driving that around our people. So instead of, for example, looking at perks and benefits and hot yoga and free food, you start asking the basic questions of what does it mean to be an employee? What does a manager, uh, what does it mean to be a manager here? What does it mean to work at this organization? How do we think of culture and technology and, and physical space? I mean, these are questions that go far beyond just looking at uh, free food and hot yoga. And so when you start to look at making these actual core changes to workplace practices, uh, to policies, to bureaucracy, to how managers lead, to how work itself gets done, that's ultimately where, you start, where I think you start to see the change happen. And sure, if you want to sprinkle a little, uh, you know, a couple perks on top of that, that's fine. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody's going to begrudge you free food. Right? <laughs> no, but it's not. The, the, the thing is, the, the free food is sort of like the, the, the sprinkle, the, the cherry that goes on top. Right. But you're not going to go get a, a sundae from your local ice cream store and just have it be one big fat cherry. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. you got to have the ice cream, you got to have the fudge, you got to have all that other sort of stuff. And then the sprinkles and the you know, chocolate chips go on top. Right. Um, but again, you go to an ice cream store, ask for a sundae, and they just give you a bunch of chocolate chips. You're going to be like, what the heck is this? Right. Yeah, right. of course, you'll eat it because it's chocolate. Because <laughs> who wouldn't eat that? But absolutely. <laughs> right. So yeah. it sounds like, though, you know, when you're listing off some of the, some of the areas to be addressed uh, in order for us to start seeing real change, I kept thinking, man, it sounds like a complete organizational overhaul. It, it almost sounds, um, you know, if, if I think as if I'm a CEO and I think, okay, boost employee engagement, put in a pool table, done. I, I can intellectually comprehend that. I, I sign off, you know, sign the, sign the uh, invoice there and we get, our, get ourselves a pool table. But if I'm, if I'm looking at it instead and saying, okay, how are we re going to reorganize the organizational structure such that managers and reports have a better relationship. That sounds like a huge, almost unconquerable. A, a lot of work. Yeah. And, and when you start talking culture, it, it tends to get a glossed over look from sure. the CEO because they're like, okay, well, that's a lot of work. 
which might mean dipping into our profits, which might mean firing people to get the right people on the team. And like long-term, yeah, that sounds great. But in the short term, it's not going to benefit us. So why even try? So how, how would you begin that conversation uh, of reworking not just the engagement number, but the, the entire workspace? Well, first, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a lot of work. Um, in fact, one of the, the most annoying questions I always get, uh, whether I'm speaking at a conference or meeting with executives, is they always ask me, what's the low-hanging fruit? And uh, whenever I hear that, I kind of want to smack my head against the wall because <laughs> yeah, I tell them, look, you're, it's like saying, uh, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody. What's the low hanging fruit, the easy thing that you can do to have a great relationship with your spouse? There's no easy thing. I mean, it's a lot of work if you want an ongoing relationship. I mean, anybody that's in a relationship knows that they are freaking hard work and you need to work at them all the time. There's no simple formula like just wake up every day and say, I love you. And then for 30 years, you'll have an amazing relationship. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you get, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so when executives ask me, what's the low hanging fruit? I always say there's no such thing. Uh, this is the, the fruit that's on the biggest tree on the tallest branch. And the fruit is sort of like, you know, uh, in the middle of a hurricane and blowing in the wind, looking like it's about to fall <laughs> off. <laughs> so it's not like... Um, you can just do one or two things and, and boom, everything's fantastic. And I think that's the um, uh, sort of the myth that some people think is out there. Uh, but as far as the ROI goes, I think there's a lot of research that's out there. Uh, I looked at 252 companies for my previous book on employee experience. And I found a, a very high uh, correlation or high ROI between business performance, ROI, profitability, employee uh, tenure, uh, turnover, stock price performance, all these different types of things, customer satisfaction. So I'd like to think that there is significant business performance. Also, a lot of the organizations that I've interviewed, whether it's on my podcast, whether it's for articles or for the book, all tell me that they see these things happen inside their companies. And so... You know, a lot of these organizations, they're not just doing it because it's fun, because they just have extra money laying around. They're doing it because they understand that we can no longer assume that employees need to work inside of our organizations. Instead, we need to create environments where people actually want to work there. And when you grasp that uh, sort of mental, when you mentally grasp that shift, then you start to understand that every day you need to be asking yourself, what are we doing to get employees to want to show up to work today. Whereas for the past few decades, the assumption has always been, oh, all these employees need to be here. Like we don't need to do anything right. because they need to be here. They're lucky to be here. It's, it's such an honor for them to be here. And now we're seeing that the, uh, the, the tables have turned mm -hmm. and the employees have a little bit more voice and power and control. So um, now it's up to the companies to convince people why they should be there. So I feel like right now there is... <clears throat> We're in this transition state, right? Well, at least I like. I hope we are, right? I hope, I hope we're moving in the right direction. But I think we're very much in this transition state where a lot of organizations, the organizations that are doing this well, have I think a competitive advantage, where they can almost almost pick and choose. You know, they they people come and join their organizations. It's hard to get in, and it's and people rarely leave. So, you know, there's there's rarely opportunities to join the organization, and I think they find themselves right now. Uh, in in a competitive, uh, they have a competitive edge because because their their culture is marketable, if you will. Um, so for those organizations that are looking to gain that competitive edge, what 
this is kind of a specific question, but could you say for someone, for a company that isn't doing what they should be doing now, and they're just kind of in that old school mindset of employees show up, we pay them to do a task, they do that task, and everybody goes home happy. Uh, organizations looking to make that switch, how long does it take? How long does it take to completely rewrite a company culture? Oh man, I have no idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like... I was hoping if anybody knows, it would be you. But uh, fair <laughs> no, enough. Man, the secret there, number, there, give it to us, Jacob. Yeah, there's so many variables that go into play, right? Company right. size, industry, location, who the executives are, budget. Um, so all I can say is it's the um, equivalent of, of trying to get in, into good shape. Right. And so if somebody were to ask me, hey, how long does it take to get into shape? Well, yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of variables that can come into play. Mm -hmm. uh, all I can say is that if you do it for a long time, eventually you'll start to find that when you go to the gym, you're lifting heavier weight. When you right. start to look in the mirror, you start right. to notice that you look a little bit better. You fit into some of your old clothes. And if you do it long enough, eventually you wake up one day and say, you know what? I look pretty damn good. <laughs> and, and, and so and so how long does that take you know i'm a a, a fitness uh, and a little bit of a health nut i've been working out and looking after what i eat for probably 15 years mm -hmm. and so it's it's not something that has a start and stop uh date it's something that changes uh all the time and for organizations they're going to see all sorts of new trends emerging, technology, different generations of workers, uh, longer retirement, uh, the you know, Gen Z uh, coming into the workplace, and there's going to be the generation after that. And so we're just seeing all sorts of changes. It's sort of like a, uh, an ongoing chess game, right? It, it's like playing a chess game where you're not allowed to end. And, and that's kind of... Sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> or fun i or love fun. i love chess so for me that sounds <laughs> okay, good. very good very good um but yeah there's no you know it, it's hard to say um, mm -hmm. i mean there are companies yeah. that have been doing this for over a decade for uh two plus decades and what they'll tell you is that you never end I, I, I like that mind. metaphor that, that, that getting into shape metaphor though i think is tremendously helpful because i think uh most people i think can relate to understanding that, hey, this is this is a commitment takes effort, and uh, I don't know that that's that you actually did answer my question, uh, believe it or not. Well, that's, let, that's let's take that getting. metaphor a little bit deeper here, right? Oh, because here we go. because there are trends when it comes to dieting and eating healthy that like come and go, and they work for some people and they don't work for other, but it's kind of like this flow. And I think in the workplace is very similar to where, in the beginning, no one had any employee engagement strategies, no one even cared, like you said. And then we realized that, oh, wow, our, our employees matter. So maybe we should do something. And so they started doing certain things like very extrinsic motivation, like, like the stick and the carrot. And, and then we started looking into like the intrinsic motivation. And all of a sudden we have these employee engagement platforms that say, here, you have an employee engagement score. And if you focus on that score, your, your culture is going to be better. And so now we're at this place where like everyone is pretty much aware that we should have a strategy yeah. or something, right. but it looks like we're still kind of grasping at what, what it is that is going to be most effective for organizations. And isn't just like a fad diet or a fad exercise, if you will. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you this, Jacob, you do a great job breaking down the idea that like employee engagement is kind of the result it's like the measurement, but truly what we're looking to do is create an employee experience. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, for me, when I think of employee experience, um, I think every single employee experience for every employee around the world is basically a combination of, uh, of three environments that, that you can control. And the three environments are culture, technology, and physical space. So those are basically the three, the three elements that companies can play around with. And it comes down to how employees feel working uh, for the organization, the tools and resources they have access to to do their jobs, and the spaces in which employees work. So that's it. I mean, it comes down to those three things. And there are, you know, some sub-themes underneath each one of those. But uh, kind of the, the analogy or the metaphor I always like to give people is if you were to think of a time when you had a job that you didn't like, uh, chances are you may have quit that job and you went to go work for another company. And usually the other company that you go to work for, same industry, same location, same uh, type of work that you're doing, but now all of a sudden you love your job. So why is it that now you love your job? It's not because the work you're doing is different. It's because the organization does a better job of investing in and designing those three environments of culture, technology, and physical space. So that's really where a lot of this comes down to. That to me is what employee experience is. The organizations who can master those three environments are the ones who are going to be able to attract and retain the best people, drive innovation, productivity, and those are the ones who are going to be able to ultimately succeed uh, in the coming years. And we're starting to see investments in those areas by companies all over the place. So I, a lot of the leading software out there right now that is used to kind of design, that you use to, to help uh, organizations on a more quantifiable way um, measure kind of this, uh, this experience level and, and kind of understand and break down where are they lacking, where are they not. Uh, they, they have like 12 to 15, 16 different mm -hmm. reasons. And I, and, I, and I love the simplicity of your model. And I'm just wondering if you've, if you've come across any of these other frameworks that have kind of talked about, you know, and said that contributory to employee experience are these uh, 10 drivers, if you will. And um, wh why did you, why'd you simplify it down to, to these three? They're, they're, I mean, they're great, obviously. I mean, they've they, they ring true 100%, but uh, it seems like others out there might suggest that there are some, there's some more, you could, you could break it's it like down. 15 instead yeah. of three. Yeah. How, how did, what's the disconnect, maybe not disconnect, but um, could you speak to that difference a little bit? Yeah. So there, there are three environments, but underneath those environments, like I said, there are sub-themes. Sure. So for culture, there's 10 things. For technology, there's three. For physical space, there's four. Mm -hmm. So I look at 17 attributes in total, and then there's sort of this overarching, what I call a reason for being, which is uh, kind of like a, a modified mission of the organization that has a couple criteria behind it. So if you put all those things together, I'm basically looking at 18 attributes or 18 elements. So it's not that far off than what we're starting to see with, um, with all the other things that are out there as far as 15 or 12 or whatever. Sure. It might okay. Be. Uh, right. All I did is I put them into three kind of overarching categories, sure. which are culture, technology, and physical space. And it's just much easier for people to grasp and understand it when you, when you think about it in that way, as opposed to saying, here's 18 or here's 15 or here's 20 things. Right. Uh, three environments is just kind of like, okay, I get it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I heard it once on one of your, uh, one of your presentations and I've, I've had it in my brain ever since. Because, you know, these, uh, these other platforms, you, you get a little overwhelmed. And I, I think for our listeners out there, uh, one of the key takeaways that, uh, 
that, that I've gotten from, from your, from your material in the past has been like, don't, don't get overwhelmed. You know, there's, yeah, there's maybe these 18 different uh, elements that you can tweak and measure and, and work on. But really, if, if you think about it conceptually, you've got these three different environments that help contribute to the employee experience. And that is so much more manageable and so much better, I think, to start as a starting point to start thinking about wrapping your mind around. Because if, if we're really making the shift the right way, right, if the organization's really changing, then, then everybody has to be on board, I think. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And like you said, it's just much easier to grasp those three things. What do you feel about uh, these employee engagement platforms that come out that administer surveys and ask uh, separate questions on all of these different drivers and give an employee engagement score to the HR director? Yeah, I mean, the technologies are just technologies, right? They're just survey tools. There's a lot of them out there. They're all very, very similar. It's not like one does something amazing that another one can't do. Uh, so, I mean, they're great because you essentially, you need those technologies to be able to get feedback uh, at scale in real time. So it's good for, for data collection, but all the tools and technologies are very much the same. And, and like I said, the tool is a tool. Uh, so what, what you do with the information and the data you collect is more valuable. Hmm. If you just collect the data and then you pass it around and everyone looks at it and goes on with their day, then it's totally meaningless and useless. But if you actually take the data and you start making changes to the company based on the data you collect, then all of a sudden that becomes more valuable and more meaningful. Uh, but as far as the platforms themselves go, uh, they're good. I mean, they're, I think they're all very similar. There's a lot of them out there. And I do think it makes sense for organizations to use uh, one of them because they're a great way to collect the data and the feedback. Mm. One thing that we talked about is maybe how uh, complicated it, it might be to, to kind of organize the culture. And I, I think a lot of times companies will get this, the survey data and it sometimes can be complicated because the question wasn't weighted properly or self-reported data is always kind of hard to... to it's a bias, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a bias there because the employee themselves know that someone's going to be looking at this from a higher power and they, they might be afraid that they're going to get fired if they are honest or if they're real. And so they might report the data a little bit differently. And so um, there's always some, some issues with that. As you are working with these companies and as you are doing your thing, do you feel like there is um, a, a better way? A better way to, you mean, uh, collect the data? Yeah, I mean, because like you can ask, for instance, one of your pillars is is physical space. Yeah. So you, you could ask, do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Uh, and maybe all of that's true, but like on a, on a higher level, it's the lighting or <laughs> it's something else. Do you, do you feel like there is, um, there is a way that we can, can better use these tools? Maybe move beyond survey data? Um, well, I mean, ideally, organizations would be moving beyond survey data. Ideally, they'd be looking at uh, a couple things. Mm -hmm. Ideally, they'd be looking at A, survey data, uh, B, people analytics or data science data, mean, meaning they're looking at behaviors, they're looking at um, uh, all the other data that they have in their organizations and correlating it with engagement, correlating it with performance reviews, et cetera. Uh, and ideally, the third source that they'd be looking at is just one-on-one -on -one conversations and interactions between peers, between managers and employees, et cetera. So you should have, at the very least, uh, three data sources, one from just the surveys that you're doing, uh, another one, number two, would be from the conversations that managers are having with employees, 
And number three is just the people analytics and the data science side. And that's just data that you're collecting all the time based on things that you observe, based on experiments that you're running, and based on data that your organization already has that you're constantly just drawing correlations from. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, very good. So as you've gone, as you've been around organizations, um, and I'm sure you, you, you touch on some of these examples in your books, but uh, are there any organizations that you can think of that do this, uh, this idea of employee experience, uh, that they do it exceptionally well? Um, and, and I'm not sure if you, you can or, or want to name them my name, but what is it that they do that uh, impresses you as you uh, look at their employee experience uh, setup, I guess? Yeah, there are a couple of organizations. So from the 252 that I looked at, uh, there were, I believe, 12 um, who do an amazing job of investing in employee experience. Mm -hmm. And these include companies like um, Microsoft and Cisco, Accenture, uh, Riot Games, Highland Software, uh, and a couple others. And um, well, really what these organizations do is they take these three environments and they just kind of go all in with them. Yeah. Right. Uh, they make sure that employees have flexible workspace options and multiple workspace options. They invest in diversity and inclusion. They're leveraging um, consumer grade technologies. They have health and wellness programs. They have managers who act like coaches and mentors. They give employees opportunities for learning and growth and development. I mean, they just have all of these things going for them all the time. And um, I mean, that's, really what these organizations are doing. They just take all of these 18 elements that I mentioned yeah. and they just do an amazing job at all of them. Sounds like an amazing ice cream sundae with all of the toppings <laughs> there on there. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it is. They got all those things uh, hammered out and, and going very well. And so if I were, if I were a large-ish perhaps organization that wanted to start today on changing my company culture, changing the feel of the organization to enhance the employee experience. What, uh, what are a couple of first steps that you would recommend to starting that shift in mindset and shift in, in, in actual workspace? Well, there are a couple of different places you can start from. I think the, uh, the first most, uh, the easiest place to start is to just understand those three environments just to filter everything that you do from those three things, culture, technology, physical space, and just understand that any, anything that you implement, any change that you make, any, anything that you do inside of your company should go through those three things. Right. How is it going to impact how employees feel, the tools and resources they have access to, or the spaces in which they work. And so once you understand and can grasp that concept, a lot of the other stuff starts to become a little bit more manageable and realistic and practical. And you kind of at least have a direction that you're going in. Uh, so that's step one. I think step two, uh, a realistic thing to start doing is to, well, a couple different step twos, uh, but a, a great one would be to make sure that you put people in positions of power who care about this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to have executives and managers and senior leaders in place who, who get it and who understand these concepts and ideas. And a lot of the organizations that I mentioned, whether you look at Satya Nadella from Microsoft or if you look at um, Chuck Robbins at, uh, at Cisco, these executives get it, right? Or if you look at the CEOs of, of Highland Software or Riot Games or Airbnb, these executives get it. They are champions of this stuff internally. And because they are, so are the people who work for them and so are the people that get brought into the company. 
but if you have very um, outdated, old school kind of way of thinking about work, the executives aren't on board, they don't believe in this, they believe in legacy revenue, they believe in just kind of doing things the same way they've always been doing it, you're going to have a very hard time making any kind of change in the company. And so you need to make sure you have those right people in positions of power. Uh, maybe one more step I can give, and I, I talk about, I think, uh, five or six or seven of them in the book. Uh, but the last one I would say is just experiment, right? Sure. You got to play around with things, see what works, see what doesn't, and, and realize that there's no single solution. There's no one answer. There's no magic bullet or low-hanging fruit. You got to treat your company like a laboratory and just play around with stuff, test it, and do those experiments and, and that type of testing all the time. And through that process, you will figure out what works and what doesn't. So one of the you know, key things that you just mentioned, right, is, 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 is executive buy-off. Um, how would you speak to a manager, you know, someone in charge of maybe 50 people in a, in a large organization where there is no executive buy-off? Def, definitely this legacy uh, form of thinking. Um, is, is it possible for, for a manager in the company to almost create their own sort of sphere of, uh, you know, a little, uh, the eye of the storm, if you will, you know, so a space where employees can have a higher sense of employee experience as opposed to the rest of the organization. Is that, is that possible? Do we see that places? How would a manager kind of try to do the best he or she could in, in their, in their own space? Um, well, I mean, there are a couple things. So is this assuming that the manager's manager uh, is not supportive of this? Right. That there's no, and you know, not, not perhaps the, the manager's manager isn't necessarily saying no, but definitely isn't helping move things along from the upper echelons of, of the company leadership. Got it. So um, there are a couple of approaches to this. If I'm a manager, if I were a manager at a company, and my executives were just not, they're like, ah, no, that's crazy. Just go sell stuff. Yeah. Um, I would try to be that bold manager, that bold leader, and I would do it anyway. Um, so I would, you know, within reason, obviously, I'm limited by, by budget or whatnot, but there are still things that I can do. I can still treat my employees well. I can still change the way that I give feedback. Uh, I can change the way that I reward and recognize people. I can change the way that learning and growth and development opportunities are presented. Uh, I can change the way work gets done as far as flexible work. Um, I can potentially look at different technologies for my team to use. Uh, I, I can still do things as a manager, uh, as a leader inside of my organization who is not at the top, uh, you know, the, the top ranks, so to speak. Right. Uh, the other thing that I would do as a manager is I would build support for this, right. right? I mean, I would be that kind of that fire starter, the change maker or the troublemaker in my company. And I would rally the troops. I would, I would tell other managers about it. I would tell employees about it. If the company has an internal social network, I would create a group in there. I would really just do whatever I can to, uh, to get these conversations going, share ideas, perspectives, create an internal coaching and mentoring program, whatever you need to do, uh, do it. So I'm a big believer in asking for forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> so, yeah, what that means is you don't, you don't ask people, hey, can I do this? You do it, and if you get in trouble for it, you say, I'm sorry. Right. And, mm. uh, I think that approach is, is very much needed for, uh, for managers inside of companies. So you heard it here first, everybody. We need to take a Kevin Bacon approach and uh, – Make sure we do a little footloose in the workplace here. 
There you go, for sure. Well, Jacob, I, I have, as we close here, I just have a fun little experiment I want to do with you. Uh, in one of your recent keynotes at the Oracle Conference, I just loved the game that you played where you just have everyone imagine what it's like for an alien to come down to our world and just make some observations about work to find out that here we are doing our thing and we are doing jobs that we hate. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to look at it from like a top-down perspective. Yeah, it's kind of silly that you would do something in 2018 that you don't enjoy doing. So let's, let's just do the inverse there. What, what if you were traveling to a distant planet and you discover the perfect utopia at work? What does that future look like? Well, I wish uh, I knew what a perfect utopia looked like. I mean, part of the challenge <laughs> is, is that everyone's got their own idea of what a utopia looks like. For some, it is uh, just, you know, having unlimited money and sitting on the beach. For other people, it is working hard and building and creating something. For others, it's being an executive at an organization and having a lot of authority and responsibility. Uh, but regardless of what scenario you kind of go after i think the the common utopia would be that people actually wake up excited to go to work every day they are um excited by the challenges that they're going to face they are um excited and and they like being around the people they feel like they're supported they have the resources that they need to be successful they work in spaces that engage and inspire and motivate them and uh, they have an understanding of how the work they're doing impacts the community or the world or the organization or something. And so it just really comes down to that idea of, do you wake up in the morning? Uh, and I, I had this problem, right? I used to wake up in the morning and I used to get that pit in my stomach of like, man, I do not want to go in to work today. And I had that for, for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that is not good, right? You, you don't want to feel that way because it, it negatively impacts your health, your family. It's, it's, it's just not pleasant. So for me, the utopia is, is not even like the type of organization. It's just how we feel, right? For me, the utopia is the way that we feel about work. And that feeling should be more positive and optimistic and uh, something that we want to do instead of feeling like it's something that we need to do. Uh, that to me, I think would be uh, a utopia. That is wonderful. I thank you so much for summing that up so nicely for us Absolutely. listeners. Uh, the best thing that you can do is just treat your people like people. Make an environment and a, a workspace where they want to be there. And I know that is a very daunting task, but you have plenty of practical advice in this podcast. Just start with one step. Don't have to eat the elephant whole. Just start with one step. And as you work at it, you will start to see that change happen, that buy-in from your managers. And eventually, you will create an employee experience that your people want to have. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Any last-minute piece of advice? No, I think we covered everything. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to if you don't think about and plan for the future of work, then uh, you're not going to have a future. So, you know, think about these things and, uh, and do something about it. Awesome. How can we find you? Uh, a couple of easy places to find me. The Future of Work University, as you mentioned, is futureofworkuniversity.com for anybody that wants courses or training. And then my website where you can find the uh, books or my email or whatnot is just thefutureorganization.com. Awesome. Listeners, thanks so much. Jacob, thank you so much for being here. We've really appreciated it. And uh, we will absolutely be talking with you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.